This is a 720 to go podcast from Chicago's WGN Radio 720. This podcast is sponsored by ADM. As one of the world's largest agricultural processors, ADM is uniquely positioned to serve the world's growing needs for abundant food and renewable energy. ADM. When it comes to the business of America's farmland, you need the information from the people who know it best. That's why we bring you AgriCast with Orion Samuelson and Max Armstrong. Thank you very much, Roger, and uh, thank you for joining us anywhere in the world this morning. We're coming to you with our weekly visit to talk about the production of food, something that I don't think many of us can get along without, and the challenges that farmers and ranchers are facing to produce that food. We're going to be spending some time talking on the big story so far of the spring, and that, of course, is the flooding that's hitting across the midsection of the country. And the fact that uh, one meteorologist with the uh, National Weather Service has said this flooding will probably go into May because of all of the snow that's still to be melted up in the north and also the uh, situation that we have when we get spring rains, all adding to the water that must move down the rivers and The interesting thing that always surprises me when we get into this situation, because this isn't the first time, but it's probably the worst time right now, but the interesting thing where the water comes into the Mississippi, and one of the longest rivers in the country is the Missouri River, and that drains a good part of the midsection of the country, And then, of course, you've got the Ohio River coming into the Mississippi. All of that happens south of St. Louis, and uh, then that water makes its way to the Gulf and the Mississippi and uh, continues flooding and also continues to hamper the shipping on barges on the inland waterway system. So a lot of different impacts of the flooding that we have. Ethanol production has been uh, curtailed a great deal in the past week because of flooded ethanol plants. So we have a lot to talk about here this morning. And as I said, Steve Alexander caught up with the president of the National Farm, uh, the Nebraska Farm Bureau. So we're going to get firsthand report from a gentleman who is living in that state. And we're going to share that with you when we continue here on the Saturday Morning Show. It is 13 minutes after 5 o'clock on this Saturday morning as we move toward the end of March and get set to move into April, hoping that we don't get heavy rains in the April showers. But we're going to uh, ask uh, our good buddy Steve Alexander to share with us this morning a visit with the president of the Nebraska Farm Bureau. So, Steve, take it away. Well, Orion, that flooding in Nebraska has left farmers and ranchers in a jam, and they need help getting their livestock fed, even getting themselves fed and housed in many cases. The Nebraska Farm Bureau is working to connect those in need with those who can offer help, whether it be cash or food or housing or labor, whatever. I spoke with Steve Nelson, the president of the Nebraska Farm Bureau, and let's begin with an overview of the flooding when we look at a map of Nebraska. Well, the largest area of flooding or the most uh, significant flooding would be 
in the the northeast third of the state that you would have to draw a line from the southeast corner and then then go back to the northwest to really catch the worst area but it's really larger than that there's about from what i understand now about 65 counties that that have an emergency declaration out of our 93 counties so this would relate either either to the severe snowstorm that we had ahead of the of the heavy rains or, or the the flooding of, as a result of the heavy rains yeah let's talk about that where did this all this water come from first of all we the, the very heavy snowstorm uh, started out this weather event and 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 that would it worked its way across the state of Nebraska it was uh, included some very heavy winds so even after the snow, uh, ceased to fall. The wind continued to move the snow around, and then really before before that event ha- was over, we started to get uh, heavy rains, and and the heavy rains fell on snow that was on top of frozen ground. So the water just went straight to the rivers. You know, it couldn't couldn't soak in, and so so the water began to run uh, immediately, and and then the the streams, which already uh, had some water in them uh, and frozen a lot of frozen chunks uh, big chunks of ice that uh, that were there then as those streams came up you had both the effect of the rapid moving and high waters but you also had the fact that that there was a lot of frozen ice in those in those streams as well and so then of course that has a very detrimental effect on anything it comes in contact with so whether it's trees or bridges or uh, farm buildings whatever it might be homes that you know just created a huge amount of damage you know it's not uncommon to have a blizzard from time to time or even a major blizzard every few years we deal with that and it's not uncommon to have some flooding in a basin or two uh, every few years that you know well significant in that area doesn't affect the state like this has so so here again where we have practically every basin in the state affected it's uh, it's really significant and and probably i mean it, it stands to reason but it has really stressed the ability to respond because you know we're just not used to having this kind of massive event the rapidness of this really seems uh, pretty remarkable. There was a, a story of a, a hog farmer who lost all but a handful of his herd uh, looking out over the field and seeing a three-foot wall of water coming his way. Did this really come on quickly? Well, it did. I, but again, I think that what's important to understand is that that what ended up happening with the, the combination of the snow, the the heavy rain, frozen land, all of those things is just unprecedented and, and ca- has caused flooding that, that no one would have expected. And, you know, I've had people relay a number of stories to me where, where they, they moved their livestock to, to, to higher ground, basically, to a place that, you know, has always been safe before, and then, then the, the water got there anyway. So, so I'm sure that most farmers and ranchers did everything that they could to prepare for this in the time that they had but but again the magnitude of this event is just so unprecedented that that uh, you wouldn't be able to to know to to respond in ways that that could have avoided it and it's it's probably almost unimaginable for for folks that that aren't in the area and going through this and you know we're looking at losses here that that i believe are well over a billion dollars you know somewhere in that 
400 million dollars worth of livestock losses there are the estimates that i've seen probably uh over that uh in uh, in losses related to uh, the inability to plant crops on time or or in some cases i'm sure that crops won't get planted this year and then if you, you add in the infrastructure, I've seen numbers in that four to $500 million range to uh, repair the infrastructure that's there. And I don't think those numbers include property damage that are on farms. So like losses connected to losing buildings or equipment, those kinds of things would not be part of those numbers. So this is a very significant and what undoubtedly will be a, a historic uh, event for Nebraska. We are visiting with Steve Nelson, the president of the Nebraska Farm Bureau. Clearly, Steve, this disaster has created a need for help. What kinds of help do farmers need, and how can our listeners pitch in? Sure. Well, we've had hundreds of calls, and we've set up an exchange portal on our website where those that have needs can list their needs, and those that want to help can list the things that they have to provide. So whether that's uh, meeting immediate needs of water and food, or whether that's feed for livestock, fencing repairs, uh, machinery, labor, whatever it might be. So we're working to, to put people together there. And then then also we have a, a relief fund on our website, and that's uh, where people can click on and donate financially. We've had, uh, we've been blessed by a huge response there of people contributing to this fund. And, and within that fund, we also have a place where those that have needs can click on and list their need, a financial need or whatever. And we're, we're monitoring both of those, those areas of our website continually. So, you know, as immediate needs come up, we work to, to deal with those immediate needs. But it is, as, as you have asked, I mean, this is a, this is just a very devastating storm, and we've we've had just story after story of major immediate needs, but there, that will lead to some significant intermediate and long term needs as well. Do you think everybody's going to be able to come back from this? Well, undoubtedly, everybody will not be able to come back from this, unfortunately, and I, I really hate to say that. Uh, definitely, farmers and ranchers are very resilient people. Nebraskans are resilient people and will will find ways to survive when you don't think that, that anybody could survive. But we had tight economic times in the state before this storm hit, and we had tight margins in practically everything that we grow and raise in the state. And so... When you have something like this happens that, that can, you know, that just puts significant additional pressure, uh, where there was already pressure. And, and so, so I, I'm definitely, uh, concerned that, that, uh, that it will be, uh, that, that everyone won't be able to survive from this. Uh, and, and I think that, that we won't know the answer to that. You know, for a couple of years. I mean, I, I know people try very hard, but some will probably figure out after a couple of years they just can't recover from this storm. I've also had a couple calls from people who 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 aren't sure that they'll be able to operate this next year because they were they were close to the line anyway, and they don't know uh, what's going to happen. And so, so that that's uh, that's very concerning. It, it you know unimaginable stress that's there, and so. So again, we're you know uh, that's something that's very concerning to me, and, and I I come back to our 
to our website again because if someone has a need, uh, I, please go on there and 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 let us know what your need is. We probably can't meet 100% of of the needs that are there. I know we can't, but we can help in some way. And so, uh, you know, we're proud people. Uh, here in Nebraska and and used to taking care of ourselves. I understand all of that, but I would just encourage people that have needs, uh, let us know, let somebody know. Uh, there are so many people that want to help you and uh, just want to, to be sure that the people know that that's okay to go ahead and, and ask for some help, and we'll try to do everything we can to either provide some of that help ourselves or, or connect people up with those that can help them. And the website, again, is NEFB, Nebraska Farm Bureau, NEFB.org. Steve Nelson, thank you for your time. Well, absolutely. I very much appreciate the opportunity to talk about this, and I thank anyone who is willing to provide some assistance or help in this really difficult time here in Nebraska. And uh, what a story that goes on and on and on. And uh, thanks to the president of the Nebraska Farm Bureau and Steve for sharing that with us here this morning. Another aspect of the flood that I really hadn't thought about, but the massive flooding has knocked out roughly 13% of the country's ethanol production capacity. Plants in Nebraska, Iowa, South Dakota, forced to shut down or scale back production following the devastation. And production facilities owned by large companies like Archer Daniels Midland and Green Plains still operating despite the days of snowstorms followed by the rains that are sending the record floods into the farm belt. However, with the rail lines washed out and corn in storage flooded, Production is dropping off, sending prices spiking in markets that buy the corn-based fuel. And the U.S. has some 200 ethanol plants capable of producing a billion, six million barrels per day. And uh, they've been taken offline due to the floods, according to three traders who track operations. And, of course, we've heard about uh, the costs so far estimated for agricultural devastation in Nebraska, but uh, crop damage exceeding $400 million in Nebraska alone. And this disruption comes as the ethanol industry is in the midst of a historic downswing due to the ongoing trade conflict with China and also sluggish domestic demand growth that has led to high inventories and weak margins. The floods will boost margins for those still operating, get also could be punishing for firms digging out from the water. Ethanol plants use rail cars to deliver products to the Gulf Coast, to the East Coast and West Coast markets. Ethanol delivered in the Gulf Coast is trading at 15 to 17 cents per gallon above Chicago's benchmark price. That's about double the average gap for this time of year. So a lot of the co-industries to the agricultural community certainly being impacted by this major devastation caused by the flooding. More to come when we continue on the Saturday morning show. After the markets closed on Friday, we did get the monthly cattle on feed report from the Department of Agriculture. 
And uh, not much in the way of surprises, but it could be bearish. Cattle marketings in February were unchanged from a year ago. However, traders were looking for an increase of about 1.5%, and placements of cattle came in 2% above a year earlier. But that's well above the uh, expectations of traders who were looking for a decline of about 4%. After the close, we did get word that the total number of cattle on feed was up 1% from a year ago. So the higher cattle on feed and placements figures and the lower marketings could pressure cattle futures at the opening on Monday. And in a separate report, the USDA said stocks of beef and pork in cold storage are above prior year levels. That could also drag on futures when the market opens on Monday. Well, we're at the halfway mark here on the Saturday Morning Show. Good to have you along with us, and uh, we'll be talking markets. Max will check in with Brian Basting of Advanced Trading at Bloomington, Illinois, in the second half of the show, and I'll have some more thoughts about the flooding and that disaster on Samuelson Says. All happening on Chicago's very own 720. WGN Radio Chicago, where it's 5.30. Thank you very much, Roger. And uh, here in the desert, it's not been the best of winters. Temperatures have been a little bit on the cool side in Arizona. And uh, pretty good rainfall. Andy Grossetta, our good friend who is a cattle rancher about 110 miles north of the Phoenix-Scottsdale area, said... They've had great rains, and they are getting pretty good pasture because of that. And so uh, they have welcomed the rain because it pretty much uh, put an end to what they call a drought season in Arizona. Of course, when you get an average rainfall of 8 inches per year, At the Sky Harbor Airport in Phoenix, uh, that doesn't take too much to uh, begin to alleviate dry conditions that you find in the the desert. But uh, coming up this week, we're approaching the uh, planting intentions report. That will be at the end of the week where we get some idea, but those ideas could very well change because of the weather But we will get some idea of how many acres uh, farmers expect to plant this growing season of corn and soybeans and wheat across the country. So that'll be coming up at the end of this week. And of course, the other activity this week, uh, thousands of miles away in China, where U.S. trade negotiators will be sitting down for the first face-to-face meeting with their Chinese counterparts Uh, for a month or two and hope, of course, in the agricultural community and the trading community that we will get some kind of a break in the trade dispute that's been ongoing now for about eight months between China and the United States. And the other thing that'll be happening this week, farmers will be getting the equipment ready and the machinery and the planters and the tillage ready to roll But it won't roll until Mother Nature says it's going to stop flooding 
and uh, drying out so that we can get the crop for 2019 into the ground. Well, we begin this section of the Saturday morning show with Samuelson Says. I am Orion, and I'll talk more about the impact of the floods of 2019. I can't even begin to imagine the stress physically and emotionally and financially that farmers in the heart of the Midwest are going through with the flooding story that we've been talking about now for the past two or three weeks. I can't imagine what they're going through and it keeps me wondering why they are willing to do what they do, to put up with well, yes, trade agreements or no trade agreements to put up with fluctuating markets, prices going up and down, and then to put up with Mother Nature. And uh, they really don't have any control over any of those ingredients. But financially, as you just heard from the president of the Nebraska Farm Bureau, there are farmers that will not recover financially from this and may not recover emotionally from this. Because if you're a livestock producer, you right now are in the middle of birthing time for cattle. And those calves that generally are uh, dropped on the range, on the ranches across the West, are now being dropped into flooding waters and mud and cold conditions. And many of those don't survive. And emotionally, that is tough for a producer to have to put up with. I have watched on the internet a a story about a rancher in Nebraska with a front-end loader on his tractor trying to get it underneath a calf that is covered with mud and that can't stand, can't get up by itself and without help from that front-end loader, would perish. But uh, that farmer wasn't giving up, and he was out there doing what he could do. As we heard earlier, uh, we need help for those farmers and ranchers that are hit hard by the floods, and uh, that help is coming from various sources, because that's one thing that happens in the country Neighbors helping neighbors, and they're certainly doing that during the flood situations that they're experiencing and living through. So thank God there are farmers and ranchers who will put up with all of the challenges they face to put the safest, most nutritious, and cheapest food on your dinner plate and mine, despite the curves that Mother Nature throws their way as they get ready for the crop season of 2019. You might say an extra prayer, too, for those agricultural producers who are struggling right now to put up with Mother Nature. My thoughts on Samuelson Says. And right now at uh, 19 minutes before 6 o'clock here on the Saturday morning show, we're getting ready to check in with uh, Max Armstrong and his market guest, Brian Basting. And we'll do that when we continue here on the Saturday morning show. 
Brian Basting is with us this weekend. Advanced Trading, Bloomington, Illinois. Good to see you once more. Good to see you, sir. Well, some folks are thinking planting, and some are really wondering how in the world they get from here to there because of the disaster in the Plain States. Let's talk about that right off the bat here. I know you work with a lot of elevators, do you not, with a lot of grain dealers? And and what are they telling you about this dislocation, uh, what's happened out there with grain movement in and out of that region there in uh, Nebraska and Missouri, and I guess South Dakota's affected some to Minnesota. Fill us in. Well, first of all, Max, certainly we want to extend our heartfelt, uh, you know, uh, hearts go out to those folks out there. It's been a tough, tough couple of weeks here, and uh, you see on the news some really devastating situations. So we certainly hope that that can get uh, cleared up as soon as possible. But it's really a, a, a one-day-at-a-time approach, I think, at this point. There's a lot of a lot of challenges out there right now, uh, whether it be livestock and or grain. And I think um, we're just going to have to see what what emerges here. But uh, uh, generally, the focus has been on Nebraska, but we don't want to forget the folks in western Iowa or parts of Missouri or South Dakota or now um, with a uh, concern about the snow melt up in North Dakota, too. So uh, really a big challenge out there right now. Ethanol plants can't get corn in, I guess, in some instances. They can't get rail cars in to load out product, and because of that, I understand distillers' grains aren't getting to some of the cattle feedlot operations that need it. It's really a challenge right now. I, I just saw a, a clip on the wire the other day of of a um, producer out there, a hog producer, having to transport his uh, grain via boat to get to his uh, facilities there, and I think you're just going to have to hang in there and uh, do what you need to do right now to keep those animals as fit as possible and and just take it one day at a time. We certainly hope that, that things will clear up, uh, don't need any more additional rain or snow now. Of course, then there's the loss tally of animals, which some people are wondering about. Uh, we've, we've heard some big numbers thrown around, and some folks are questioning the size of the numbers that have been uh, put out of the public press, but I guess we have yet to get our arms around any of that. Yeah, it's just too early. I think we're just going to have to be uh, patient and, and really let this... Uh, counting, if you will, take place and, and see, obviously, those folks who are directly affected are devastated. Uh, market-wise, it's something the market's well aware of, obviously, at this point, uh, particularly, in, for example, what's going on in the hog market right now. But uh, I think the cattle market is the one most directly affected in that region. Let's talk about the grains. I mean, this is important geography for grain production. Parts of the number one and three corn-producing states in America, a lot of soybean production comes out of that region. There's been very little market reaction, correct? To this point, there has not been a lot of market reaction. Uh, I would add, though, that today the U.S. or the National Weather Service came out with their 30-day outlook for the month of April. This is their latest outlook. And for that region, i.e. western Iowa, uh, Nebraska, uh, South Dakota, it's cool in the month of April. And unfortunately, above normal precip. Again, that's just a forecast, but that is the latest forecast from National Weather Service. So we'll see if the market starts to take a note of that, particularly as you get past the March 29th USDA reports. Is the market just so profoundly bearish that it, it, it's hard to move it with any news right now? I mean, you look at what is going on, again, in this important geography for grain production, you might have anticipated a little more reaction. I agree, Max, uh, particularly when you look at the corn market. Anytime you're looking at a market that ending stocks, albeit each day it looks like they're going to decline modestly from last year, uh, whereas earlier in the year maybe a little more uh, of a decline. But right now the corn market's being weighed down by a very poor export market. 
last year at this point, we were looking at a very uh, severe drought in Argentina. And also last year at this time, we had a drought in double crop corn in Brazil. So we had a double supportive factor last year. This year, however, just the opposite. Looks like a record crop in Argentina. And the Safinia, the double crop corn in Brazil so far, looks very good. So we're not seeing that export business we saw a year ago and the market's being weighed down. We get rumors and we get administration comments uh, from the podium and from tweets on an almost daily basis. And Wall Street gets whips around, whipped around by it, whipsawed by the news. Uh, markets, grain markets might move a little bit, but uh, is it to the point where we're getting kind of calloused? to any kind of report of progress or any kind of report of a setback in terms of the Chinese negotiations. So so the grain traders are just kind of taking it in stride right now. That's a real good summary. That seems to be the attitude right now. I think there's still a long-term hope that there is going to be something worked out there in regards to a trade agreement with China. But as you mentioned, it seems like it's being pushed back and pushed back. Um, again, I, I don't discount that possibility of something occurring, but from a market standpoint, and you hit the nail on the head, the market moves every single day. And if it doesn't get any information, um, the uh, momentum at the moment, for lack of a better word, is to the downside, particularly in the corn market. Uh, it has rebounded a bit here recently, but um, I think uh, once you get past those March 29 reports, we really want to see some some uh, activity on the trade front because at that point, obviously, we'll be in the field at that point, too. I thought it was a little sobering the other day when the, there was an indication from the White House that even if there is an agreement, the tariffs might stay on. He wasn't specific about which tariffs, but the president indicated, given the propensity for the Chinese to not adhere to agreements in the past, that the tariffs might stay in place. That That's chilling for anybody in the soybean business to hear, isn't it? It definitely is uh, something to, to be aware of because um, at this point we're looking at a big rebound in production in Argentina. And we're looking at a solid crop in Brazil. So there is going to be substitute uh, supply, if you will, available as you move into summer and fall. Perhaps in the standpoint of Argentina, much more available supply than last year. So um, yeah, anytime you hear that type of conversation, it's a little unsettling, for lack of a better word. Um, I think the other thing we're, we're, we're focusing on now is will there be enough time to turn around a trade agreement in old crop or will this turn out to be more of a new crop issue? And that's a big deal because uh, right now uh, the old crop market, I think, is gaining some support from the hope that there will be some old crop business. But that keeps getting pushed back into new crop. Old crop will feel heavy as you get into summer. Mm, very interesting. If there is an agreement, even if there is a bump up in price, might it be of short duration simply because they... The whole fundamental picture will not have changed much. A very good summary. I think it will be a, a long-talked-about uh, possibility, and when the realization occurs, certainly could be worth a, could be worth a shot in the arm, but uh, it's been talked about for so long, it won't come as a big surprise unless the quantities are a big surprise. I think that will be the issue to keep an eye on, but uh, and the breakdown between old and new crop. But I think you, ra- you raise a good point. I think at that point... Uh, whether it be in April or May or who knows when, um, weather will quickly move to the forefront and, and that will move to the back burner. But the phrase you used is a key one, it strikes me, shot in the arm. That could be a very brief shot in the arm that the farmer needs to seize and to take advantage of. A good point. I think any time you talk about markets, sometimes you talk about opportunities being very fleeting. And uh, if we start to see... Hopefully, the weather clear up at some point and and you start to take away some weather premium in the market later this spring. Um, That news, if you will, could be a brief shot in the arm, give the market a little bit of a pop. 
but it could be short-lived, and that could be an opportunity to get some pricing done for remaining old crop and or new crop. Just ahead, the March 29th reports from USDA. That's usually a big report day. The planting intentions report is usually weighed heavily uh, against uh, expectations. This one's going to have some problem in, in analysis, is it not, in terms of accuracy because of the timing of the survey? Yeah, it certainly will. That survey is taken by the USDA the first two weeks in March. So we're looking at a, a, a time period there where the flooding basically had maybe just at the tail end of that survey period, but the flooding really has taken place. The seriousness of it has taken place after the survey was completed. So we're really looking at some challenges there. The mark may discount what that number is and approach uh, what more of an approach of what does the near-term forecast look like for April. Sometimes USDA will do special surveys if there is time to do so in, in a targeted area. Have you heard anything about that for, for the planting or prospective plantings report? I have not, but it's certainly a possibility this year. And, and they limit it maybe to a few states, four or five states, something like that? I would that, think perhaps. it would be the Nebraska, uh, Missouri, Iowa, and perhaps South Dakota in there, too. What's your assessment? While we're talking on this devastated area, talking about that eastern Nebraska area, western Iowa, Missouri, South Dakota, what is the likelihood for flooding elsewhere? I mean, I, I think of, the, of a perennial flood region like the Red River of the North, for example, and the Wabash Valley of Indiana, and places where it seems like bottom land is often flood land, at least for a few weeks. How significant is the exposure elsewhere from what you know? There are two areas I'd, I'd highlight there. One is North Dakota and Minnesota. We don't want to forget that the snowpack up there is still quite heavy, and obviously we're, we're now nearly the end of March, and we're looking at a time period here. When we turn over that calendar to April, you start to click the clock down in terms of planting corn and planting spring wheat. So that'll be something to keep a close eye on. The other thing is we, we don't want to forget the entire corn belt is wet, not near to the severity of what we're seeing in the western corn belt, obviously, in the northern plains. But I think anytime you get into that window of planting opportunity from the 1st of April to Memorial Day, we really want to keep an eye on the fact we are not we don't have any experience in any significant dryness. And if you start to get some spring rains move in here, not only would those areas be vulnerable to some delays, but also some delays elsewhere. You know, even some of, some of the states we don't consider to be major corn and soybean producers have been getting a lot of moisture. Kentucky, Tennessee, North Carolina, rains on, a, on an almost daily basis. So there is a lot of wet territory that should be in the midst of spring work rather soon. Yeah, some challenges also down in the south and parts right. of Louisiana, Arkansas, yeah. some challenges down there too. And uh, as you say, perhaps not the volume of acreage, but still very important in the scheme of things. And I think it's something that the market will take a close look at when we get into April. Nice to see you, as always. We appreciate your visit. Always appreciate visiting with you, Max. Visiting here in our studio, Brian Basting from Advanced Trading, Bloomington, Illinois. And a final comment for the morning, at least, on the flood situation. Secretary of Agriculture Sonny Perdue said yesterday, and I quote, Recent flooding in the Midwest and along the Missouri and Mississippi River Valleys has caused devastating impacts across the region, and USDA has personnel and resources devoted to helping farmers and communities recover after the storm. The secretary said, I encourage area farmers and ranchers to contact their local USDA service center so we can work with them to identify the resources and tools needed to establish, re-establish their operations. While farmers and ranchers in the area are resilient, 
The pain is real. We will do everything in our power at USDA to be as helpful as we possibly can. So if you're in an area that's suffering from the impact of the flooding, contact your county farm service agency office and see what they have to offer. And as uh, Max and uh, his guest, uh, Brian, uh, discussed this morning, coming up on Friday of this week, we'll get the planting intentions report from the U.S. Department of Agriculture. And that will be followed the end of June with the actual planted acreage report. So we'll see what kind of a difference the flood situation is going to make in the crop size and in work to be done in the fields of the flooded areas from now until planting time. Well, as always, uh, we say thanks to you for listening. Couldn't do this without you, and I couldn't do it without Bob Ferguson, the engineer who makes it all happen from WGN West to get to Chicago and to get out to your radio wherever it might be. So have a good, good weekend. Orion Samuelson keeps you connected to the world of business and agriculture on WGN. Hear his reports weekday mornings on The Steve Cochran Show and during the noon hour on the Wintrust Business Lunch. Plus, catch Orion and Max on Saturday mornings at 5 a.m. only on Chicago's WGN Radio 720.